The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now it's uh, time for our Friday Forum. We're joined by Christian Bowen, Deputy Editor of the Journal.ie, owner Bryn Sinn TD for Dublin Midwest and spokesperson on housing, local government and heritage. Patrick Costello, Green Party TD for Dublin South Central, spokesman on uh, Justice. Good morning and welcome uh, to you all. Uh, Christine, first of all, the drugs bust, we've uh, spoken so much about it this week. Not much more to say, except the Navy did a great job, but we need more of them. We need more of them. And I think it was a win for them this week for two reasons. Like the operation itself was obviously a huge success. Um, I'm expecting to see, you know, the podcast or the Netflix documentary about it um, in the next couple of years. But I think also the Navy have been crying out for years about the lack of resources that they have. Like at the moment, they have eight boats and they only have two of them in service. So I think for people who've been supporting the Defence Forces and people in the Defence Forces, this week was such an argument for them to say, look what we could do with the resources that we have. If we actually resource them properly, what would that look like? like yeah, what it looks would we like they can't do? get the people. I was talking to no Simon attention. Coveney earlier yeah. this morning. You know, it's trying to recruit people. Uh, the, the ships are there, tied up in, in dock own. Yeah, although you can only recruit people if you pay them properly, if you give them proper terms and conditions. And then if you tackle other cost of living issues, for example, like the cost of housing and childcare, etc. Mm. I mean, I think what this does show is is when both the Naval Service and Angarda Shiakona are given the ability uh, uh, to go after the really, really big drug cartels and, and drug trafficking, they can do so. But Christina's right, it is about resources. Yeah, but now, the is- problem of pay, which you mentioned, pay them properly. And Simon Coveney's point was, and if you are in government, which I think you firmly expect to be, you've got that problem. We give them something and the rest of the public services, well, we have relativities, by the way, prison officers, Gardaí, and so on and so forth. You pay the, you give a hike to one and the hike has to reverberate right through the public service. Yeah, but also the pay levels have to reflect the nature of the work and the level of risk and work. And actually what's remarkable about the public service is often those people who do the most dangerous jobs, put themselves most at risk uh, of personal harm, are are actually those people who are paid the poorest. And that's absolutely the case with the Defence Forces, as it is, for example, in the Naval Service and at entry levels in the Guard. So if we want to ensure our communities are safer from, for example, very organised crime and drug trafficking. We have to make sure that the people on the front line are paid properly, have proper terms and conditions, proper rosters, but also can access affordable homes and affordable yeah. childcare. They are things that can be done if you had a government that was right. serious about Patrick? it. Patrick? Yeah. Well, like the, first of all, this also included the Army Ranger Wing. So it's not just the Naval Service, it's the Defence Forces as well. So it's the Defence Forces as a whole. And it does show we do need to be investing in them. Um, I think there is still uh, within the Defence Forces a, a pride, a pride in the service they do and the public service they do. And I think uh, we need to acknowledge that a lot more. Um, earlier in the year, there was a competition for cadetships, I think, the, in the Naval Service. There was eight available and there were something like 170 people applied. So there is still an interest in getting into the Naval Service and into its mission and into its public service. And we need to back that up and support it with money. And I'd love to see these issues addressed. Uh, well, uh, again, uh, a thorny one. Uh, I want to move on to uh, other topics today. And uh, the question of TD's pay. Now, what do you think? It goes up to almost 109,000 and then there are the expenses vouched and unvouched expenses and a decent pension at the end of the day. It's a nice it's a nice uh, job if you can get it. Yeah, uh, we're overpaid. Uh, we don't deserve a pay rise in the middle of a cost of living crisis. We shouldn't be getting a pay rise and I certainly won't be taking it. Uh, and you're right because far too often people don't talk about the expenses. Um, now, there is a, a very good, strong, random audit of those expenses. But I'd much prefer us to move to a fully vouched system uh, of expenses, particularly the travel accommodation, which is the one that is unvouched and, and untaxed. Uh, so there is a need for wider reform. But the real issue is right now, 
given the salary that we already have at, a, at an entry level, there is no justification for a pay rise. And I don't think it should be left individual TDs like myself to say I'm not taking it. I just don't think it should be introduced in the yeah. first place. But the question of why they did it in the first place, Owen, was to, to take it out of I the arena. That. So it's, it's an automatic thing. I, if it, I, I accept that. And, and I don't believe politicians should set our rates of pay. But I also think politicians and the political system needs to be attuned to the very, very real cost of living pressures that are affecting huge numbers of working families out there. So when I'm dealing with constituents on modest and above modest incomes who are really challenged in terms of meeting education costs, childcare costs, heating costs, food costs, I don't think it's acceptable that somebody like me who's already on a salary that's too high gets a very significant pay rise. And it's the third or something we've got since Christine? I've been a TD. So I think yeah. it needs to be stopped. I mean, I don't want to defend Owen's giant salary here, but when you actually look at the facts, like when you do look at it in context, Ireland's TDs are not paid a disproportionate amount when you look at other countries. They're not paid a disproportionate amount when you look at public sector workers who are doing similar jobs. And also, they're not paid as much as they used to be. Like before the recession in 2007, the shock was on almost €300,000 and now he's on just over 200000 Ministers were on like 270000 and now they're on just close to 200000 Salary, you can look at the salaries back then and say they were extortionate. And if we had a Taoiseach getting 300000 it would be completely different. But actually, when you look at what they wear on, it is very different. And compared to countries like, say, Belgium and Denmark with similar populations, TDs are paid a similar amount to, to there. So I don't know what we're expecting when we have this discussion about what TDs should be paid. Like, what is a fair amount for TDs to be paid? Like, are we saying that public sector workers shouldn't be getting these increases at a cost of, when there is a cost of living crisis? And also, like his own says, a lot of TDs are, do give back a percentage of the money that they get. So look, it's a big salary. It's a huge amount. But we also have to talk about fairness and about how do we attract people to this role at a very difficult time when you see the amount of abuse that politicians get. Like what is a, a fair amount for them to be Patrick. earning? Patrick, I think the Corley made a point earlier in the week that it's not just the TDs and senators. There's about one and a half thousand people who work in the Oireachtas. And there was... Um, Challenges over the last number of years in relation to pay for the secretarial assistance. Um, and so there's a lot of other people in politics and in the Oireachtas who also deserve a pay rise. And I think that, you know, the, 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 the part of the, it is right that it is independent, that it's not us deciding our own salaries, but it's been benchmarked and linked to the wider civil service. And I'm, I wonder, is it now time to say, well, look, we do need an independent commission, but an independent commission that looks at politics and political jobs in their own right, not necessarily benchmarking it to a principal officer or a secretary general. Because a lot of the time when we're How having... How do you do that? Well, I'll come to that in a second, but just a lot of the time when we're having these, these pay talks and things, pay rises are always made conditional on efficiencies, on changing work practices. And certainly most TDs are going to be working every hour, every hour we can, and still that's not going to be enough. So I'm not sure we, you know, when you give a principal officer extra pay, you can get something in return in terms of efficiencies, work practices, etc. You can't necessarily get that um, uh, from a TD. So I think that that direct connection needs to be broken. But in the same way we but have... Look, in, in truth, if you uh, ask the public uh, on any given day, they would say, not alone, don't give them a pay rise, take some money off them. That's what the public would say. So that's why it's taken out of that kind of uh, contentious arena and linked to the civil service. You could link it to someone else if you wanted to, but link to somebody so that you don't have these uh, discussions in Doyle Aaron about Owen oh, no, O'Brien did that and Patrick didn't do that and therefore, you know, that's unseemly, number but, one. But can I make this point? Because again, I'm, I'm not arguing that politicians should set our own rates of pay, but in periods of economic hardship, in periods of 
escalating costs of living where we have cost, you know, household costs way above the EU averages. Uh, I, I think there is a strong argument to say, particularly given how high the entry level salaries are for TDs, uh, that they shouldn't be increased. Mm. Um, uh, uh, independent reviews are fine and, and, and taking it out of the political arena is fine. And also actually public opinion is very mixed on this because a lot of people who actually understand the volume of work that, that good TDs do understand that it's not a 35 or 40 hour a week job, right? It is very different. Um, now, that's not to say, by the way, uh, that we should plead the poor mouth. We choose this. Uh, uh, for many of us, it's a vocation. It's not a career. Uh, and you can be turfed out of the next election. So it doesn't have long-term job security. No. But the expenses regime is more generous than any other uh, form of employment I've ever had. Uh, the pension regime is more generous, even notwithstanding the fact that Christina is right, it's dramatically reduced on what it was before, but it's still exceptionally I mean, there are still generous. people in there who qualify for the sure, old regime. Even, even for somebody like me who entered in, to the Oireachtas in 2016 when those changes were made I, I will still end up if I do 20 years in the Oireachtas and I would love to do 20 years in the Oireachtas <laughs> just if any of the good people of Dublin Midwest are listening to me but if I do that I'll end up with a pension right? that most other workers either will never get an opportunity to have or would have to work 40 or more years at so I just think that this isn't about saying we should set our own salary but right now it is not the time uh, uh, for TDs to get uh, a pay rise. That's a separate issue to public sector workers because Christine is right, there's cost of living pressures on all of those other workers. Uh, and the secretarial assistants in the Oireachtas uh, who often uh, 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 do huge amounts of work are still on rates of pay that are 20 years out of date and don't reflect mm. the hard work but that they do. But just going back so, to, to your, so this pension, is about fairness. your pension entitlements, um, the Oireachtas set a limit on what private pensions could contain. For a younger TD who does have the good fortune to spend 20 years in the Oireachtas, it would cost much more than that ceiling that you guys have set for the private sector to fund that pension for the rest of that man or woman's life. That's hypo hypocritical. Yeah, I, I, although I, <clears throat> I played no part in the setting of those rules that happened before I was elected. But it, it just speaks to the point um, uh, that we do have... Uh, uh, very advantageous circumstances in terms of pension, pay uh, uh, and uh, uh, expenses. Uh, and that's the system that's there. Uh, at no stage have I had an opportunity to, to vote on it. But right now, given where our salaries are at, given the fact that we've had pay restoration plus increases, now is not the time for a further increase. And public confidence is important. Is right? this not virtue signalling? No, I, well, first of all... You know, say I'm, if, I'm great, I'm not taking my, it, I won't no, take it. My, Am I wonderful? My, my preference is that we shouldn't even be having this discussion and that's why I'm saying it shouldn't be up to individual TDs to say whether they're going to do this or not. This simply shouldn't be happening right now. But at least there's a level of accountability with TDs where we can see the work that you're doing and if we're not happy with it, vote you out in five years' time. Like there are people like, say, Owen Keegan, who was the Dublin City Manager up until recently, who was on a salary of over 200000 when he retired. And there's similar salaries in some of the local authorities around the country. Yeah, but Owen we Ke can see what the Owen TDs Keegan are doing. Owen Keegan is we a can't very see. visible uh, person. I, mean, I think he's, he's visible when he, for controversies. It was hard to see the work that he was doing throughout you know, the, the well, tenure. The city ran, didn't it? You know, like That's his job, is to, to run the city. All the bureaucratic nonsense that goes on every day you need someone to run it and there is an argument whether you like Owen or not and he did some controversial things. Yeah. The city kept going. Thank it you did, very much. But there wasn't that option for people to uh, to vote on Owen. There was no option for people to say or on any member, leader of any local authority in the way that we have with TDs. So I think, you know, if we're going to talk about um, salaries in the public sector, we should be looking at them more broadly than just TDs because this is an issue that extends beyond them. 
um, some of the texts coming in. Uh, so that person speaking thinks the TD's job is so hard and the abuse they get as public servants are guards, not public servants. And I'm sure they get a lot more abuse and uh, the Navy Army pay them all 100 grand each. I'm sure that would be very fair, says Darren in Westport. It's all very fine comparing Belgium, but we have twice as many TDs as they have proportionately, um, says uh, Brian. Uh, we, we move on, therefore, on that cue, though, about the Gardaí. And it is a strike, isn't it, Owen? It's not a strike in the sense that... Uh, it's uh, not organised by the GRA, but... No, but but it's not a strike in the sense that uh, uh, Gardaí will continue to go to work and they'll continue to do levels of overtime. But when I talk to the Gardaí locally in, in the Clondalkin uh, district, they're not only doing their own job uh, at an appropriate level of overtime, they're now doing such an extreme level of overtime that is placing enormous stress on them, on their families and on the service they're providing. So actually, I think what this is, is is the Gardaí, particularly the grassroots rank and file Gardaí, saying this situation is not tolerable. Uh, it, it could end up in f- full-blown uh, industrial action, although my understanding is talks are going to resume this weekend. Uh, I hope those talks succeed. I hope everybody goes into those talks with a constructive attitude. But you cannot continue to get blood out of a stone. And therefore, if we want uh, community safety, if we want, whether it's our mm. community Gardaí, whether it's our drug squads uh, uh, or other uh, uh, divisions, to do the job that they want to do, we have to ensure that there's enough of them to do it and that we're not relying on levels of overtime that, for example, in in most other professions, people wouldn't even contemplate. And again, this is some of the most difficult work that we ask people to do. I see it day in, daily with our community guardie uh, on the front yeah. line. So let's, let's get recruitment sorted, let's get pay sorted, uh, and let's not be asking people to do levels of overtime that is simply not acceptable. Christine? I think, look, this is an issue that's facing a lot of employers and employees um, right now um, because all of the work practices that came in during COVID, a lot of people got used to kind of a work-life balance or working hours that suited them perhaps better than, than the ones they had before. And now when employers are trying to unwind that, like with the Gardaí, trying to unwind it and going back to the, the previous roster, suddenly there's all these difficulties because people are happy with the work-life balance that they have now. And I think it's a really, that's what makes this such a naughty dispute. We know that employers so are finding it difficult to get people to work in offices because uh, they got used to remote working. And it is a bit of a struggle, even though they think it would be a better activity overall for the company to have them back in. People are saying, no, I'm going to find a company that allows me to work remotely. So and that's what's happening with Gardaí. You're they, saying the guards got kind of a bit spoiled. Is that what you're saying? I think, during the I think a lot of us got a bit spoiled, but it's more than just spoiled, though. It's about employers having to recognise that employees have so many more options now. And it's the same with Gardaí. So they were on a roster that was more, more punitive, more difficult. They were moved to one that was four days on, four days off, which made their lives to, you know, I think for a lot of us, it made our lives a little bit easier, okay. a little bit but better. But don't forget, Drew Harris was brought in to do a particular job. They didn't yeah. take someone from in the culture. They took someone from outside. Yeah. And now that he's doing the job, <laughs> people don't like it. No one likes the person who comes in to clean shop. It's, it's such a difficult thing. Like they brought him in for a reason. We had all those years of scandals within the Gardaí and then Drew Harris was brought in for a specific thing to do. And he's never going to be popular. And I think as long as he retains the, the, his, the support of uh, the Minister for Justice and the government, that's fine. We know he doesn't have the support of the rank and file Gardaí. Um, so it's up to, as long as he has the support of the government, he can keep going. Okay, Patrick. But I think like it's not just about how, the, like the current roster has its own challenges, but the, the, the challenges of the previous roster, the Westmanstown roster, were well known yeah. during the the uh, COFP process, the Commission on the Future of Policing in Ireland. During that process, lots of people were complaining about the that roster at that point. Even before that began, the roster was a source of contention. Uh, so even Drew Harris has admitted that the Westmanstown roster has its problems. So there is an overall need for a new roster and a new way of working here. 
and really, I think that that, that it, it shouldn't be about either or of these two rosters because it seems that nobody is happy with any of them. See, the, and it, the, we, the way it, you would plan, if you were starting from scratch, you'd say, uh, these are my police districts. These are the numbers of shifts I need to, to cover the policing in those areas. These are the numbers of individual guardi I need in particular streets or particular districts. You add it all up and you come to a, a total which might be probably close to 20,000 guardi these days. But, but, Pat, but, there was, but you're not there starting was, from there. There was a process of that happening for years in the guards before COVID came along. And there was promises of reforms of the Westmantown roster based on this. But then you've got to add to, into it the specialist units, the community units, the, poli- uh, the national units. So it is significantly more complicated than that. But, but Pat, the, the, the issue here is this. You can't fix the roster if you don't tackle the recruitment and retention issues. Uh, and for example, all during, during COVID, guards were still out on the front line like most frontline public sector workers putting themselves at, at even greater no, no, risk. No, hang on, Owen. The parts, streets were parts, taken over by yobs parts, parts, because of a parts. lack of policing during the pandemic. We saw it. But drinking on the streets, going to the hatch for Pat, a pint. Pat, the, the, the lack of policing on our streets, particularly community policing, is a result of the fact that year on year the number of guards that we have has been falling under this Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael government. So what I'm saying is if we want to have good rosters, if we want to have good policing, we need to tackle recruitment and retention. Uh, and the idea uh, that uh, uh, remote working or working from home was the problem specifically for the Garda Shikona isn't the case. In fact, most guards don't want to be doing office work. That's why we need the Garda Reserves, back recruiting. That's why we need uh, uh, the protocol for that put in place because the overwhelming majority of guards that I talk to want to be out on the street doing police work not in an office filling out paperwork and therefore uh, uh, we need to make sure not only have we more guards on the street doing their job but the guard reserve there doing uh, uh, non-frontline work as well. And it, it's not just it's not just sitting in an office, it's sitting in a court, uh, uh, spending time in a court prosecuting when that should be taken off them so that they can go, they're free to be out yeah. on the streets. But if, you, if you're the prosecuting guard... Everybody want to be on the streets and the, people... You're, you're but isn't it the courts that need to be efficient? If you're bringing a guard in, the case for 10 o'clock, the case should be heard at, you know, 10 past 10 after the initial business is done. Let the guard then go about his business. I mean, they do it to witnesses all the time in court if you're called... You could be there all day and then uh, a barrister goes missing to do another case in another court and everything is adjourned. It's grossly inefficient and grossly unfair to Garthi, but also to any other expert or ordinary witness. Well, if if we want to talk about the courts, that's fine, because part of the thing is we just do not have enough judges. There are lots of courthouses that are sitting empty now that could easily be used if we had enough judges right. to start expanding we, the we list. Have but the ultimate thing is we all want more guards on the street, more visible and doing police work. And that's what guards themselves uh, want. And then to do. you pay them more and then yeah. that has reverberations right throughout the prison service and so on. This one from Brian. How about linking politicians' pay to Defence Forces' pay? Two problems solved instantly. <laughs> Good man, Brian. What do politicians think of that? <laughs> now, a, a quick one on the, a second tier of child benefit. What would Sinn Féin say to that, On It's something we're looking at at the moment. Um, uh, obviously, there are cost implications and our, our budget team, uh, I suppose, are just finalising the work between now and budget. Uh, but uh, there are a variety of different ways to tackle child poverty in targeted ways. And therefore, what will be in our budget is the ones we think are the most effective but given the fact that it's an ESRI proposal, there's very serious consideration of it. We are looking at it, but it's not the only way to tackle that problem. Anytime we've spoken about the, 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 the challenges of the universal child benefit in the past, it's always been said by, by the Department of Social Protection that a means testing is too expensive. And there are much quicker, cheaper ways to tackle child poverty, increasing the qualified child allowance, uh, um, 
increase the the QCI, increasing the the, the working family payment, and these can be done without uh, the need to do a report or a pilot or any of these things. It can also be done without the need for a means test, which is slow, which is complicated. So I think if we mm. if we're willing to spend this money to try and tackle child poverty, as it Owen says, the QCI, the work, the, the the working family mm. payment, these things are a much quicker, much more efficient yeah. way. I, I mean, of addressing directly addressing. They'll never do away whoever's in power with the universal child benefit payment. I don't think they'd last very long in government, whoever they might be, if they try to abolish it. But there are things that you can get to people directly. Primary school books, for example, that is a terrific boon for many parents. Secondary school books would be a terrific boon for for parents. You know, there are ways. And those kind of things make a huge difference. And I think if we see actual... Um, if we see changes made to the childcare system, for example, which is one of the most expensive things for parents. Like I had to put my daughter into childcare from uh, last month and the amount of money you have to pay, you hear about it, but when you actually have to pay it, it's huge. The government has a huge surplus coming up in the budget now. And if they wanted to do something to actually make a difference in people's lives, the benefit would make a huge difference. Okay, uh, finally, Patrick, I love your shirt. Uh, Owen, those (laughs) glasses are really becoming. And that hairstyle of yours, Christine, is sensational. (laughs) Today being Compliments Day, this is a minefield. Because (laughs) I say to someone, hey, hey, X in the office, you look terrific. Did I not look good yesterday? <laughs> do you know, where where do you go with this? Anyone, any comments, any thoughts on Compliments Day? Well, I also like your shirt. You look great, Pat. Yeah, yeah, you look yeah. so good Thanks today. Thanks build, yeah. I think Irish people are really bad with compliments because it's so it feels so transactional. When someone says to you, you look great, this is, you know, whatever, you feel like you immediately have to say something back. And I think that there's that sense of, you know, you owe something to somebody now. Someone's complimented you, what do you have to give back to them? And I think that's the bit that we're actually uncomfortable with. I don't actually, think that there's... My producer... Uh, complimented me yesterday not on National Compliments Day she said um, did you get a haircut and I said Pat, no that's not a compliment no I, <laughs> no, I just she wasn't even sure. she wasn't even sure if you got the haircut I, I think it was like just small a question. talk yeah it was more of an inquiry <laughs> yeah. really anyway it's a fundraising uh, effort I think on behalf of Jigsaw so let's enjoy Compliments Day and pass as many compliments as we can my thanks to Christine Bowen Deputy Editor of the Journal.ie Ona Brinch in Fain TD for Dublin Midwest Spokesman on Housing Local Government and Heritage and Patrick Costello Green Party TD for Dublin South Central Spokesman on Justice The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.